everyone. Welcome to another episode of the AOS Podcast. This is season two, episode one, and it's a new year. We're doing a lot of new things on the podcast. We're going to have a lot of new guests come on. We're going to be talking about a lot of issues that are happening right now. We have a new president and a new vice president. Um, congratulations, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And we also have a new host on the show, Christian McClary. You all remember him from previous episodes. Um, Christian, welcome on, welcome aboard. I'm, I'm excited to have you. Uh, I'm going to appreciate the additional support and feedback and just being able just to play off of you and to really make this show the best possible for our viewers. So uh, thank you for joining us as a co-host, Christian. I appreciate you. Of course, this is going to be an amazing season two. So please stay tuned and make sure you stay on top of the ADOS podcast. Remember to follow us on our Facebook page. Give us a like. We're also on YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at the ADOS Podcast. We're on Instagram at the ADOS Podcast. And we're also streaming on other sites as well at the ADOS Podcast. Please follow our social medias. Give us a share. Give us a like. Um, we're trying to really elevate the voices of our community members and do the best that we can to be there as a resource for everybody in the community. Christian, how's your new year going, man? I think my new year is going well. Um, trying to take it easy, fresh off of the election. So, you know, I'm trying to figure out where I'm best fit, spending a lot of time with my family, just enrolled back into school, you know, to get some um, additional education, psychology. I'm going to Hamlin, so go Pipers. Uh, it's good to do community things because that kind of offsets some mm -hmm. of the monetary expenses I have at school. So thank you, community, for... <laughs> Supporting me and giving me lots to put on essays. Dude, you're back in school. Congratulations, man. I know we're talking about education, your personal education, a lot last season. Mm -hmm. I'm glad to know that you're back in school now. You're pursuing a degree in psychology at Hamlin, dude. That's, that's amazing, bro. Um, how's the first couple classes been? I know you guys already started this week, right? Or last week? Yeah, give or take. So we'll be starting the next couple of days. Okay. Um, we're trying to figure out how we're going to do it. You know, some some students are like, well, I don't want to go into class. And Hamlin's like, well, we want to give you guys the Piper life. So come into school. So that's going to be uh, confusing the first couple of weeks, but we'll get a foundation going. Wow. So you guys are deciding if you're going to do a hybrid model, just completely distance learning, or if you're just going to have students come back on campus. There hasn't been a decision made yet? Not Not a formal decision. It's really what the professors want to do. Oh, wow. Well, that's kind of scary. <laughs> So you may have some classes that are going to be online, some classes that are going to be in person. Okay. Yeah. 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 My, my courses are kind of set up, you know, just all online right now. Um, we do have a presentation that we have to do. But other than that, everything's just learn at your own pace. Just make sure you're turning in your quizzes and papers and you're good. So I think we're going to have to get on the Zoom for the presentations, but that's it. <laughs> so this this year should be very easy for me, and I should graduate with my master's degree in the summer, so I'm excited about that. So this year, it will be exciting for me, for sure. Um, so did you watch the inauguration? Yes, I didn't catch all of it, but I did catch a little bit. And Amanda Gorman is just a fantastic poet, and I think that Amanda won the hearts over a lot of people in this country. And I saw I have some really good friends and here in the Twin Cities that do spoken word. And they were so impressed and excited that poets are on the up and up and coming out and being not only 
um, how do I put this? Not only creative and artistic, but also really putting a message out within that art. And that's always with poetry, then whether it's rap, whether it's spoken word or whatever the case may be. But I think to have it introduced into a political scope is really changing the way how we communicate with one another. Absolutely. And to be able to recite a poem of that magnitude on that large of a stage. I couldn't do it. <laughs> it was amazing. So I watched the the poem a few times through. And there was one part, there was a few different parts of the poem where I was just like, oh my God, like she really explained the plight of black Americans in ADOS. Like mm -hmm. she really just, you know, explained the current trajectory our country's on and the things that we have to do to put ourselves back on the right track, right? And there was one part where she said, um, you live in a country or whatever where a black girl can dream of be president only to find out that she's just reciting at one, right? Mm -hmm. Or something to that effect. And to me, it's like, for a lot of ADOS people, right, for a lot of black people living in this country or underrepresented people in general living in America, I think like we get so close to breaking the glass or we get so close to actually being able to grab the dream or to accomplish what our goal is. And sometimes it's just like snatched away from us, right? Mm -hmm. Or we only can get so far. We're never going to be able to get the entire thing. And like that part of the poem just really like just kind of made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. It's like, dude, like, yes, like that's that's the difficulty. It's like we can see that we can become these things. But for a lot of us, we will never be able to actualize it. We'll never be able to actually grab it and obtain it. Yeah. And and I think um, when we're when we're looking at it through what you just talked about, that just shows how many different systemic levels that there are into politics and even community because it's the same thing with jobs. You know, you have your different tiers. It's the same thing with running for office. You have your different tiers. So it's like, how could we get introduced to a new field and say that we are present and we could do this and we want to do this? You know, saying that we want to do it, I think that is a bigger message. And I agree. There was um, one thing that Amanda stated that you know, made the back of my hair stand up. And all I remember was the skinny black girl. Mm. And that stood out to me. Please elaborate on that a little bit, Christian. Yeah, because um, so when I when I think about it, I just think about we recognize how many things are happening to our black men and our black males mm -hmm. all around. But a lot of the attention go towards that focus, and then we sometimes, you know, look over or overshadow the black woman and that experience and the role that they played. So it's um, it was just powerful to hear her scream that in front of, you know, a large community of white people, but to say it through poetry and to to be strong and stand by it, I could tell that. That was a part of Amanda, skinny black girl on Inauguration Day. And it also um, could be a point of how we hypersexualize our black women as well, mm -hmm. which is a completely other conversation, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's <laughs> another is, episode. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but that is a huge issue as well, or just hypersexualizing black people in general. Mm -hmm. um, and we see that through the media um, all the time, athletics, everything, right? I want to get back to talking about th that piece with Amanda Gorman. Um, 
I think that's that poem was just so powerful for our country to hear at this time, mm-hmm. right? We're getting through the Trump era, or almost. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but <laughs> we're almost completely done with the Trump era right. of presidency, at least for now. We still got the pandemic going on. The trials for George Floyd has not yet started yet in Minnesota, but they're scheduled to start soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're st- we still have a large part of our country still dealing with the aftermath of the civil unrest or uprising, whatever you want to call it. We still have so many people in this country struggling, not only with issues of disparities and racism, right, and discrimination, but also because of this virus. Mm-hmm. We're in a very difficult spot as a nation right now and as a people. And I think we just needed to hear those words one more time on that national stage to say, look, we have an ugly history. And then for us to to move forward as one America, we have to acknowledge that ugly history and be willing to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think she said at one point in the poem, too, like, you know, it's not just about Americans having that pride. Right. You know, it's about us acknowledging that history, Mm -hmm. an ugly history. And for us to stand up and say we want to do something about it. We needed to hear that at that moment. Yeah, we we need to continue (laughs) to hear it and say it. You know, it's very reassuring to know that we are trending and we are ascending and we want to go into a different direction. But these issues do exist. They would forever exist, no matter how we look at it, whether they're being acted upon versus knowing about it. It's going to be there. So acknowledging the history, we can't be selective about which history we choose to mm. to say and which history we choose to, okay, we're just going to follow that, but we can't follow the other thing that that person did. Right. If or, we're going to acknowledge yeah. it, we're going to acknowledge it all. We got to put it all <laughs> out there. You know, that's, that, that's the way that we become liberated. You know, that's how we become more free. That's how we become more united. You know, and I think, well, I heard Biden say that on his speech and he was talking about the United States. We have to be more united. And I was like, I agree with that. We have to be more united and acknowledge our differences and don't see them as like differences, but see them as maybe learning a new skill, maybe learning something new that you didn't know before. That's why I don't take anyone for granted who I cross paths with in my life because I'm like, I can learn so much from you. And I believe I talked about that um, one of the last times I came on to the show. In order for us to become united, we must have to first realize that we are right now currently divided. Mm -hmm. Two weeks ago, there was large groups of people who gathered at the Capitol grounds and stormed the Capitol. There was an insurrection at the Capitol Mm -hmm. two weeks ago. And people are finally starting to call it for what it is an insurrection. These are terrorists degrading, stealing, defacing, harming, yeah. harming property and individuals at the Capitol. Five people were killed during that insurrection. We are divided. So right now they're currently trying to impeach President Trump where they filed articles of impeachment in the mm-hmm. House. That passed. Um, now he's up for, well, I guess next week, they say they're going to schedule, start scheduling the trial mm-hmm. to convict him. So he's already been impeached by the House. Now they're going to decide whether or not they're going to actually convict him of those charges. 
do you think Trump was wrong in what he did? Do you think he played a role? I mean, obviously he played some type of role because he got impeached in the House where mm-hmm. Democrats have the control, though. So, I mean, one could argue that it was politicized and it was just political and they had the political power to do so. Mm-hmm. But do you think that President Trump actually did something wrong? First, let me start by saying um, our hearts goes out to the loved ones who were lost at the Capitol. And um, uh, we we really feel for you guys here in Minnesota. And that struck home for me because I'm from Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. So I do have family there who can't go anywhere near there. They they love to do different things, DoorDash, regular work, day-to-day, you know, people. And they're also, they feel for their lives too. So my heart definitely go out and we are praying here from Minnesota to Washington, D.C. Um, I watched seven hours of that process. <laughs> and to me, I think the most shocking thing was how some representatives from states, mostly southern states, they they didn't want the impeachment. And part of the reason they didn't want the impeachment is because they feel like that Trump was a part of it, but he didn't actually say, go and do this. And other people are like, well, he kind of initiated it and he should be held responsible and accountable. But the thing about the impeachment is it's not for just it's not just for this moment. It's for other political seats if he wanted to seek or go for another office or something. So I... And, and it sets a... Pre- not to cut you off, but it yeah. sets a precedent of what is acceptable behavior is for an elected official and the president of the United States who has the highest power of our executive branch. Yep. That sets a precedent of yeah. what should be allowed and what shouldn't be allowed. It does. And... um I, I think he he has to be held accountable for that. Like a lot of a lot of people said that. And oh our our representative in Congress, Ilhan Omar, is just a phenomenal speaker too. And she spoke eloquently about this he has to be held accountable. And you know, initiating something like that. And then to have lives lost and then to have property vandalized, what is that saying about our country? You know, what is that saying that we could organize an an internal army, internal terrorists and destroy our own thing? Do you think it was a flex of power by Trump? I mean, he eventually went out there and told people, you know, to clear out, to go home. But this is hours after everything was already, you know, taking place. Joe Biden, the the, the mm-hmm. elect at the time, president elect at the time, issued a statement. Numerous other people issued statements urging the crowds to disperse. Trump didn't say anything until the, the tail end of it. Do you think that was just a flex of power? Part of the reason is he got banned from social medias, and we know <laughs> how much <laughs> our former president was on social media. So that's probably why he didn't issue a statement that way. Um it's he still he still had a podium. Yeah. Yeah. I mean and a platform. He, yeah, he had a platform, he had a podium, he got a microphone. I mean, it's the president. <laughs> I th- I think it it is about power. It's about power, it's about control. It's about who can control this situation. How could I stay relevant? How could I not be forgotten about? And I think that's what that whole situation was about. And whether he just said, you know, go and have a peaceful protest, I do not see it as ever being intended or the intent was to be peaceful. 
The intent mm. was to be disruptive. And what that disruption is going to do for the rest of us, the rest of the residents of the United States who did not have parts, we all are going to be held accountable because of the acts of some of these individuals. And, and, and to briefly speak on that, so I, I know you heard about the thousands of troops that were deployed from all over the country to come assist with the security efforts mm-hmm. during the inauguration. I mean, that's that's a poor use of resources, in my opinion. I mean, but necessary. Don't get me wrong. Necessary. But if we did not have an insurrection take place two weeks prior, mm-hmm. there would have been no need for the increased security. There would have been no need to waste resources from a lot of different states, including the state of Minnesota. We had officers and uh, uh, National Guard members here Mm -hmm. enlisted or, you know, deployed. I guess they also call that a deployment, deployed over to Washington, D.C. to help out with the inauguration. Yeah. I have friends who serve in the military that I was on Snapchat talking to about what was happening. And they were literally getting ready to to go to D.C. to be stationed there. It's crazy. I mean, like, dude, what? I mean, this this thing just... It just didn't impact people in D.C. Mm-hmm. like you like you said. It impacted Americans all over the country, everywhere. And what security do we have now? Do you feel America? Do you feel like Americans feel that our capital grounds are secure? What about the Congress members there? I mean, I was listening to AOC mm-hmm. speak on CNN. I think it was yesterday, and she was saying that she doesn't feel safe in the chamber. That's real. That's real. And I know for a lot of our Congress members, they have kids that go with them to some meetings and just see things around and to to see history snatched off the wall and things vandalized. It is scary for anybody. There was kids there that day. There's people here in our state turning off their TV because they can't watch no more. So it's like, imagine being in those situations. AOC said uh, a member... And I can't remember the, the House member's name, but uh, the House member had a gun on the floor a couple of days ago. In the Capitol, where guns are banned, certainly on the floor of a house, mm-hmm. brought a gun. And I, I didn't get to read too much into the, the article or whatever or in, into the interview. So I don't know if it was there for just for personal protection, you know, what the, what the intentions of having the gun was. But apparently he passed it off to another member across the aisle. Just on the House floor. Like, what's actually happening in our government right now? I mean, I guess that's a bigger question. Like, right now, there's so many different things going on. Like, where is the priority of our elected officials right now, at least on that level? And we could talk a little bit about it on the local level as well. But mm-hmm. in your opinion, what do you think the priorities are? I mean, because it seemed to me all over the place, man. <laughs> it is all over the place. And, you know, when when we're talking about cleaning up things, I think about when I was younger and I had to clean my room. You can't clean your room unless you mess your room up. So this is an opportunity for reform. Mm. That's that's what it looks like to me. We we just have to take this in and say, okay, how can we not just reform this situation, but how can we reform all situations? How do we look at education? How do we look at criminal justice? How do we look at um, utility, housing, rental support? How do we look at environmental studies? We have to have reform on all of those things and actually create something concrete. So that way we don't feel like we have to, you know, shout and scream and, 
feel like that we could just be heard. If these things were already in place, then that's a way for us to have some type of stress off of us. So if we have emergency situations like this, we could say, okay, what do we need to do for this moment? We already had a plan to say how we're going to operate if this was to happen. This is how we're going to address it. Take a more of a, a proactive approach instead of a reactive approach. I would say that's kind of been, you know, how our government has been operating for a long time. It's out of that reactive approach, mm-hmm. right? I would like to see us transition into thinking about these potential uh, problems before they even arise, developing plans for them, and taking a proactive approach to addressing some of those issues that you just outlined. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I agree with you. I think we need to reorganize our entire political system and how it operates on every level, on the local level, uh, on the state level, and certainly on the federal level. Locally, you know, I, I want to see a lot more involvement coming from the wards and the precincts. Mm-hmm. So I was having this thought today, <laughs> and I'm like, and you know, this is also going to be a part of my campaign, uh, like, you know, something that I'm going to prioritize in my campaign, right? Mm-hmm. It's having a council or some type of um, recommendation body from the wards in the precincts, right? So take War 5, for instance, there's like, what, like 11 or 13 war, or precincts there. Mm-hmm. Each precinct can elect somebody, and we all come up with a, a ward improvement plan, right, that we bring the city council and say, this is what the individuals of each precinct within my ward want to see in the community, or here's the priorities of my ward. And I know because I've talked to every single person in this precinct, right? Every single representative of the precinct. Mm -hmm. There just seems to be, there needs to be a better connection between residents and elected officials. There has to be intentional too. Like how do we start bridging those gaps on a local level? I mean, federal might be way more difficult to do something like that, but locally I think that's fairly achievable. It is. It is very achievable. And I know I would say for this city, there is a little bit more community engagement Mm -hmm. than other cities. I live in Apple Valley. Trust me. I know what I'm talking about. So so uh, I I think to apply a, a healthy pressure and a positive challenge of saying this is what our community is talking about. This is what we should consider. We need the voices of our taxpayers. We need the voices of the residents because all of them have experience that maybe somebody in City Hall haven't even experienced or haven't even thought about. Mm -hmm. So there's a richness there of saying that. And then whatever they talk about, that can go into the reform piece of we never even thought about that. Let's start working on that because if one person's thinking about it, it's going to come up. Yeah, and if there is one resident, you know, experiencing that issue in the community, I guarantee you that there's probably dozens more, you mm-hmm. know, if not hundreds more, who are going through that same exact thing, but just don't know how to communicate it or the appropriate person to reach out to to even have the issue addressed, right? And see, that's another the, that's a part of the problem that I'm talking about is like our residents have they have solutions, right? Because mm-hmm. they're going through the problem. So of course, when you're experiencing the problem, you're going to think about solutions. But are they even being engaged in an intentional manner? Not saying, hey, we're going to have this Zoom meeting, and we talked about this before, like, you know, elected officials will say, oh, we're going to have this meeting on a Friday, change the link two or three times. Um, You know, not every single person was actually reached out to in the community to even know that there's a meeting going on, and then they say they did community engagement. (laughs) It doesn't count. You know, community engagement is ongoing. It, It is ongoing. And I go back to what I say best. 
marriage. It's a marriage. It may be political just to one party. It may just be an activity to another, but it's a marriage. Like community engagement is marriage. Gonna have up and downs. It's just, that's the reality of it. But you can handle those things and you can address those things by communicating. And the communication is such an important thing because whether it's the most difficult conversation on the planet or the most or the easiest conversation on the planet, the conversation is happening. Mm. And it, it's the same thing with like developmental areas and finding lots and buying homes. It all goes into that because you have city ordinances that's saying one thing. You have residents who feel that should be a one thing. And part of the feeling is we don't know what that paper says about us mm. buying homes. So, you know, we have one party who's work actively working on things, actively putting things in. And then we have someone who's actively working on them in that moment, their families. But it's like, if I don't know the paperwork or what's happening, where do I go? You know, how do I consult with someone? And then if I reach out to that person, I may or may not get a response or may have to do a follow-up Zoom call where the link changes five to eight times and it's a one-on-one meeting to talk about, you know, my situation. So we we have to figure out a way to increase community engagement by communicating. Mm. I, I love that you said that. So part of what I do is help small businesses get access to grants, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> and I'm working with one business Powerful. right now. Yeah, it is. And, and I, I love that work. And I'm working with one business right now, uh, West Indy Soul. Shout out to West Indy Soul. Um, they're doing takeout right now and curbside pickup. So I'm working with West Indy Soul with Sharon. She's the CEO there, the, the owner of the business. And I was trying to help them navigate the state site to get the grants. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Governor Walls issued another executive order, and then he also had some economic relief that he was putting out into the communities in Minnesota. I think it was like a total of $65 million or whatever. And you can receive a grant if you met all the eligibility. Now, this business, first off, was confused um, by the executive order. They were confused with the eligibility requirements for the business. And I had to pretty much communicate that with them that, you know, as long as you meet these things, you have these documents, you filed taxes in 2019, you're a part of the state unemployment insurance, you're eligible for this, you know, based off how many employees you have, Mm -hmm. you're eligible for this amount of dollars, right? If you didn't receive your payment by January 12th, well, then this is how you um, navigate the state site to get the request for economic relief inquiry form to tell them, hey, I'm a business. Here's my tax information. I didn't receive my grant. I meet all the eligibility requirements. You know how many businesses are probably entitled to some grant money or eligible? I shouldn't say entitled. Mm-hmm. Eligible for to receive some grant money during this pandemic, mm-hmm. but don't know how to navigate the state site. Yeah. And then <laughs> imagine having an application and you just found out about the grant applications in two days. So that <laughs> that's also a real thing that happens. I, I would say to that. It is communication. It's, it's, that's, that's just all I can say about it is communication. And people, you know, it kinda, it's kind of unfortunate that people have to connect with people like you and I to get a lot of that local support that they would need 
to operate a business. You know, it's kind of unfortunate that they have to consult with someone and they're just not getting the information directly. Mm. Mm. And then if they're a smaller business, company, organization, whatever the case may be, you know, they're kind of on the lesser side to get the information or receive it really late. You know, that's something that um, within the nonprofit organization I work with, we've had conversations about when we received um, CARES Act funds to do some COVID work in in St. Paul, we kind of received it late. So everything was a scramble. And granted, you know, we... We didn't, we didn't have a process for COVID. Nobody knows it was going to hit us or how hard it was going to hit us. But finding out about that resource for us to do some work was fairly late. So then, you know, we have families who are, who are in need. We have businesses who are in need. And then we have organizations who are trying to actively work on things and have to scramble of things they did in the past to match with the the, the city or the county funds to yeah, prove that they had a loss of at least thirty percent of their yeah, revenue to to prove all that and get held you know, up in the bureaucracy. It takes time. <laughs> it, it it takes time, and it can be stressful. And you know, and for a business that already has limited resources, right? But you know what kind of irritated me the most about the process. It's just like how they put the like the requirement that you have to spend all the funds by a certain day. So if you were an eligible business or an organization for CARES dollars, right, mm-hmm. that came down from the feds, and you got, say, the money September 15th, well, that means you only have a month and a half to spend whatever money that you're allotted for whatever program. It's like, and now and you're- if you sp- don't spend it, it goes back to the county. <laughs> right. So- uh <laughs> Yeah, or that place. So it's, yeah, yeah, it was it was tough. It was a tough thing. I remember dealing with some of the projects and knowing about other projects of like, we have to spend this money down. We, we have to get it down. We only spend this much. Oh, it's a lot left. And the way I think about it, it could be a good problem to have. But if you don't have um, buy-in from the community as is and you're creating new curriculum, mm-hmm. then it's really difficult to access well to utilize those resources that you got for cares act yeah absolutely so i think moving forward you know we just need to because i'm we're going to get more economic relief that's going to happen COVID's not going away um anytime soon biden does have a plan to issue what 100 million vaccines in 100 days mm-hmm. hopefully that reduces the numbers but COVID is still going to be around which means the problems that we're experiencing during COVID-19 are still going to be around as well, if not exacerbated, depending on if the cases rise or not. We need to really consciously build some type of infrastructure for our small businesses locally so when that support does come back down from the feds or from the state, that they're able to receive those funds and to be able to expense everything um, in the allotted time or have the conversation of just not putting a time limit on it. If we're going to allot you the money, you can use it how you want to, right? If you want to build out an improvement plan for your business, okay, do it with the money that we're going to provide you. Mm -hmm. If you want to figure out how to make the experience safer for your customers, okay, use the money to do that. Take as much time as you need to develop develop that comprehensive plan. There shouldn't be a rush on providing aid and support to residents and small businesses. (laughs) I I think to that point, we didn't know how long COVID was going to be around. So I would say that. So I think part of it was like, okay, we received these federal dollars to go to these different areas. And then once the money came in, 
we don't know how long this thing's going around. So let's just push. Let's just push and get it out and say, and maybe some places thought, oh, COVID should be over by then. So we want to make sure that whatever funds we do give out, it's spent before this timeline because it could possibly be, you know, over or somewhat normalized by then. As I think about that, <laughs> I think you're right. We can't put a time limit. We can't, we, we just can't do that because businesses are different. They all have different agendas, different objectives, different ways of operating and different things, services that they provide. So if we look at it that way, someone who may be, let's say, into a food industry, FDA type of business versus someone who's in a clothing business, maybe someone who's in the clothing might have an easier time of getting their business further established or further along in the process and actually utilize the dollars in which their company could benefit earlier mm -hmm. versus someone who's in a restaurant industry where they have to make sure that their food is up to code, make sure that the restaurant's up to code, make sure that, you know, sewage and plumbing and utilities. And with COVID-19 guidelines. Yeah. Plus and regulations the staff management. Yep. yep. Plus staff management. Plus everything. So it's like if you take that into account, we can't put a timeline on that, especially if they want to work on different, you know, trainings and professional development for their staff. And that's a piece we didn't even talk about, the professional development, mm. which is also tied to it. Yeah. Oh, man. And there's a huge need right now for professional development and personal development in our community. Everywhere. Um, I was, uh, Ramsey County gave a presentation to me, the Workforce Solutions Department gave a presentation I was a part of. I helped facilitate the conversation with some community members. And we're just talking about the job um, outlook for Ramsey County. And there's a lot of our industries that are going to be suffering even after this pandemic subsides. I mean, we're talking three to five years um, before we're going to start seeing recovery in our restaurant industries or in the hospitality industry. So it's like, and those, a lot, a lot of those jobs, a lot of our young people work them. Mm -hmm. A lot of our young people depend on those jobs. Some of them use that money to help support their family. That's a reality, especially for a lot of individuals living in St. Paul. I know that for sure. So I'm just concerned, man, that, you know, th this pandemic, or it, it's going to impact us for at least another five to seven years. And that, I'm talking about like direct impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I spoke with elders in the community. It was like, this is worse than the Great Depression. Facts. And, and, Facts. and, you know, they're saying that. And I wasn't necessarily around for the Great Depression. <laughs> and I'm like, well. But you know history. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you and And it's like, wow. But I can imagine the reading and the research versus the experiencing piece because this this is this is history it's history and we're all living it in history and we're not even realizing how much this thing has changed the world like it, it already the has world. Certain, yeah. certainly america but i feel like it has already changed the world um, some good, some bad. I think we talked about that before of how, you know, my at least my take on how some positivity has came about during this pandemic. Mm -hmm. But, dude, I'm just seriously concerned about our young people being able to get jobs in the next three to five years. Specifically, I'm talking about on the north side of Minneapolis, where crime rate is doubled right now. Homicides are double. Burglaries up like two, uh, I think 2.5. Mm -hmm. So double. Almost triple. 
I mean, dude, and a lot of it, the crime is coming from young people. We just got to be honest. A lot of the crime is coming from young people who are not in school right now because of distance learning and COVID-19 and who are not working because Access, of lack of jobs. resources, all of it, you know, and and that, that that's actually a really solid point. Somebody just told me yesterday, it was like, Christian, you keep yourself busy. I said yes. And then they said something that really hit me. It was like, well, I guess it's better than running the streets. Mm. And I, I didn't really think about it, you know, that way. Like, and, and I was never really in the streets anyway. You know, of course, football and stuff, basketball, sports. I'm a boring person. But for someone who, who can't stay busy and who are in, you know, different cliques and things like that, they that's all they know. Is that the alternative then? If you're not busy, the alternative is being in the street. I don't think it's the alternative, but if you don't know something, and then that goes to the communication that we were talking about earlier. If you don't know something and if you don't know it exists, what else are you going to do? You know, if I, if let, let's just say I'll use the stimulus check for, <laughs> for, for an example. So, which, which I, I haven't gotten my stimulus yet. You got your stimulus yet? <laughs> I, yeah, I got, I got them, but um, I haven't got it. Went straight to my round. bills. So you got your second round. I didn't get my second round. I'm still waiting on that. <laughs> second went to the bills too. <laughs> yeah, so it was no stimulus for me. <laughs> <laughs> but but you could thank my uh, complex who received that. Oh, uh, but yeah, to to go back to that, I think the solution is well, not a solution, but I think a lot of people who don't know things was like this seems easier to me to do in this time of need. I'm already struggling because of systemic things that are out there against me, and I'm specifically talking to the black man right now. It's hard for me to get a job. It's hard for me to you know, take care of my kids. It's hard for me to support my family, uh, not just kids, but, you know, the spouses, mm -hmm. loved ones, parents. I want to go to school, but it's hard for me to do because I don't know about the process or how to go through that. So what does that leave? It leaves me talking to people who I associate myself with, who are like-minded, who are in my community, who I see every day. Sometimes those people may be doing things that are illegal, inappropriate, or, you know, somewhat things they shouldn't be doing. But it's like, we don't have anything else to do, mm. or we don't know what else to do. And a lot of people try to figure out who they are and what they can do, and it looks different from anybody. So people may say, I don't know who I am. That's why I decide to do this. Mm -hmm. I don't like doing this. I have no choice to do this. And when you're against so many obstacles, that's all you know. That is survival. Mm. You know, it doesn't become well, it's it's illegal, but illegal actions to someone is survival. I'm trying to survive. And they, it's justified then cuz I'm doing this to survive, to preserve my life. Elijah's trying to get me in trouble, guys. <laughs> I, I, I'm not I, saying illegal activities <laughs> is justified. I'm <laughs> I'm just saying that that um, there's an understanding that you could have for a situation. I, I, I like that you use the word survival, though, right? Because that's exactly what it is. And I didn't mean to say that doing illegal activity is justifiable either. But if you ask a common person, you know, if they would do this activity to survive, to eat, to live, 
they probably will say yeah. Um, and I always say this. I've said this on the ADOS podcast numerous times. I'm going to continue to say it. And it's until we get to the point where opportunity and pathways for success are more accessible than a pound of weed and a firearm, we're always going to be having this conversation. That's powerful. That's rich. That is a very rich statement. And it's the honest truth. Because for so many of our young people, and I'm talking about places like North Minneapolis, I'm talking about places like East St. Paul, Mm -hmm. the east side of St. Paul, Frogtown, that is the reality, that I can get my hands on some drugs and a pistol quicker than I can get help with a FAFSA to get into college. Quicker than I can get a (laughs) bank account. Quicker than I can get a job. A driver's license. A check. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I want to end on a positive note because that, that, and we're going to continue that conversation because that's how we really get to forming some solutions to these problems that our community is facing. Mm-hmm. I want to know what are you looking forward to in 2021? Oh, season two <laughs> of the ADOS podcast. I am extremely excited to be here with Elijah and the team because um, the production team is also amazing too. So, shout out, Gabe. Shout out, shout out to Gabe. So this is um, this is definitely something I'm looking forward to, and I'm getting married this upcoming July. Whoa. Yeah, so that is the biggest thing. Dude, that's exciting! <laughs> but the Eight podcast is right up there. <laughs> wow, I'm glad that we're we're contending because, dude, that's huge, man! It Congratulations! I did you. not know that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it's going down. We're we're getting married here in St. Paul. I'm not dropping addresses because people are, um, you know. But um, I I am really happy with my partner. I I truly love her. She inspires me and she makes me the best person that I can be. And everything that I'm involved with, whether it's community, whether it's my own personal stuff, she is a huge reason why I do all of this. And I love you, Mari. Mario, if you're watching this, you got a good man. My co-host. You can't steal him away from me, though, when he has to do podcasts. But, dude, that's amazing, bro. I was talking to my dad yesterday, Mm -hmm. and he was telling me, we talk about just a bunch of stuff. We talked for like two and a half hours. We've been talking a lot lately, which has been amazing. That's healthy. Yeah, it is. And we're talking, and he's like, dude, you need to settle down. And I'm like, I'm not even 25 yet. Like, I'm 24. Like, what? He's like, yeah, that was fun when you were 21. And I know I was telling you to date around. And he's like, I changed my mind. You need to settle down. He's like, I was reading some stuff. And they said uh, 72% of all millionaires that are males, men, mm-hmm. are married. And I'm like, well, I, I didn't fact check him, of course. <laughs> Usually when my dad tells me something, I just believe it. You don't it. fact check He, he, he yeah, does his research. <laughs> I'm like, okay, wherever you heard that from, I hope it's credible. But, you know, he knows about, you know, cross-checking and doing all that stuff, looking mm-hmm. for credible sources. So I was like, okay, that that, but that seems kind of believable, though, that, you know, I'm, a, I'm assuming that if you're a wealthy person, rich person, a millionaire, whatever, mm-hmm. that you're successful. And it would make sense that, you know, if you're successful, you would have someone that's contributing to your success on a daily basis. And that, I mean, that position would be filled by a wife, right? Or a husband, you know, that's or typically- a partner. Or partner. That's typically <laughs> a person, you know, who is there for you through mm-hmm. everything that contributes to your success. So that made sense once he said that, like, okay, a majority of people 
who are millionaires or successful people. I think that's how he phrased it. He said successful people. And we disagreed that if you had over a million dollars, you're successful. I don't know how we came up with that number, whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, that about 72% of them are married. So I thought that was cool. So congratulations, man. That That's huge. Thank you. Um, it's, it's, yeah, <laughs> this is going to be, it's so beautiful. Like the feeling is out of this world. And I, I, I do promote it. If you're in love with someone and, you know, you've grown together and you learn so much about one another, you should listen to Elijah's father and settle down. And put a ring on it. How about that? <laughs> if you're in love with somebody, put a ring on it. <laughs> um, I'm excited to have you as well. Um, I'm, I'm going to appreciate the additional support. You know, this first episode back was amazing. Um, nice to always get your perspective on things. And just to have your intelligence, your brilliance here with me, I appreciate it. I know our producers appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And I know our audience appreciates it as well. So welcome, Christian. Um, This is going to be a great season. And I'm also looking forward to just being more in the community and just helping people get access to the resources that they need during this time of pandemic. So um, that's the ADOS podcast. It's our first episode back. I hope everyone, New Year is going well. Rest in peace to Larry King. Died at the age of 87. Uh, radio talk show icon, radio uh, radio and TV personality icon. Um, rest in peace to Larry King. 87, that's a long time. Yes. Uh, he yes. should get some type of award just for living that long. Uh, but you will be missed. Um, I'm going to go back and watch some old videos of Larry King live um, just to reminisce. Um, I did grow up watching that, so I will be um, going back and checking out some of your old episodes. Please follow us on our Facebook. Give us a like. Follow us on our Instagram. Like our content there. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. And please check us out on Spotify. We're there. The name for all of those channels is the ADOS Podcast. I'm your co-host, Elijah Norris Holiday, And I'm your co-host, Christian McCleary. That's the ADOS Podcast, and we'll see you all in the next episode.